If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. On the 12 days of Christmas, Mind Pump came to me. Ooh, big brain on the TV. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't give that away yet. Bro, what are you doing, Well, I'm not supposed to do this yet? It's not until tomorrow, right? No, yeah. Just all we got to do is tell people, head over to the Mind Pump Instagram page today. We got some fun stuff going on over there for Christmas. Turn on your notifications. We have something exciting for you. Tomorrow, every day. Every day I can't Christmas. wait. Yeah. Oh, and I can't uh, wait till we launch this we, thing. We've already given away too much. Don't tell anybody. Blah, blah, blah. That's right. It's blah, a surprise. Blah, blah. Also, in this episode Woo. of Mind Pump, look for the first thirty-seven minutes. This is where we have fun. We talk about whatever's on our minds. Sometimes it's fitness stuff. A lot of times it's not. Sometimes it's robots. In this episode, it's about thirty-seven minutes long. So if you want to skip forward to the fitness, it's thirty-seven minutes. If you like entertainment and you're cool. Keep listening. Then you're my kind of guy. Here's what we talk about. We start out by talking about the skinny dipped almonds uh, as a great stocking stuffer for your children and your family. We're going to be giving our families and our kids skinny dipped almonds. They are delicious. Now, we are sponsored by Skinny Dipped. If you go to skinnydipped.com forward slash mind pump and enter the code mind pump, you'll get a fat 20% off. We also talked about the book Santa Sold Shrooms. This was written by the founder of... Four Sigmatic Tarot. Might not saying. be a kid-friendly book. I it's, don't know. It's actually really, really cool. Anyway, <laughs> Four Sigmatic cool, uh, supplement company that specializes in uh, medicinal mushrooms. Uh, for example, my, one of my favorites is Cordyceps. Love it for stamina. Uh, loved using it pre-workout. It's good for strength also. May increase testosterone in those of you with low testosterone, by the way. If you go to Four Sigmatic, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash mind pump, and use the code MindPump at checkout, you'll get a discount. Uh, then we talk about me switching out my caffeine for cordyceps. I already talked about that. Yeah. Adam using Ned for sleep. Ned is not a dude that helps him sleep better. Hey, Ned. <laughs> Come here. <laughs> Come over here. Or something. Help me sleep, bro. Yeah. No, Ned is full <laughs> spectr- spectrum hemp extract. It's got a full spectrum of cannabinoids, including ca- cannabidiol, CBD, We are sponsored also by Ned. If you go to helloned, H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com forward slash mind pump, you can get 15% off your first purchase. Then we talked about detaching from things and media. I love that part of the of that intro. Oh yeah, there's right? a term actually for this already. Yeah, what's it? What is it called? Media like fasting. I think. Media fasting yeah. or e fasting or something. It's like It's gonna that. be a thing, everybody. It's good stuff. Then we talked about how Primal Kitchen sold to uh was it, who is it heinz yeah i yeah. think it was heinz yeah mm-hmm. huge sale really really cool and then we talked about the disney empire oh look out yeah good stuff then we get into the fitness questions here's the first one the first question was what is the recommended number of sets for static holds otherwise known as tension movements there's a lot of benefit into using these in your workout but how do you program them into your workout without overdoing it or underdoing it. Right. Next question, a little bit philosoph- uh, philosophical. How do we define fitness? It's extremely important the way you define fitness. You're going to love that part of this episode. Next question is, when does someone know when they should stop bulking and start going into a cut? So bulking is when you're trying to put on weight and muscle preferably. How do you know when it's time to stop? Or in other words, when it's not really working well for you anymore? Usually when I start breathing heavy. 
And the final question, uh, what is our take on the you versus you mindset compared to the compete to win mindset? Are they both separate mindsets or are they actually both similar mindsets or the same mindsets all wrapped up into one like a nice hmm. Christmas gift? Also, this month, all month long, you can get free access for a year to our Mind Pump private forum. That's a full year for free. It's $100 value, absolutely free. All you got to do is enroll in one of our MAPS fitness programs. We have a lot of fitness programs, all for different goals. We have different bundles also where we combine multiple MAPS programs. To find out which MAPS program is right for you, just go to mapsfitnessproducts.com. Justin, did you get all your uh, stocking stuffers for the kids yet? I got Santa clothes. I got, yeah, I got a decent amount of them already. Actually, I was trying to be proactive this what year. What do you put? This is a, I always have trouble figuring out stocking stuffers. Yeah, they got to be small, right? They got to be little toys or little like. So what I have found was this one uh, bookstore, in Santa Cruz, that has all these like old school like learning kind of toys and things, mm. and so. Um, what did we find? We found a few things where like little science experiments and uh, like like old rubber band guns and, and stuff like that that are kind of old school. But like I used to love that when I was a kid and my, it turns out my kids love them too. So That's a great idea. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Um, I'll tell a you. There's store in Los Gatos that's like that where it's yeah. like the old toys. It's like the old school, but you still learn something from them. Well, yeah. they're just different because they're yeah. old. And different. Because they're old, kids don't see them anymore, so they seem kind of cool. Yeah, because I what I hate is the stocking stuffers full of just candy. That's what, oh so that, fuck candy. Yeah. I come from that family. Forget about so it. I'm always been trying to like push them to make better choices because that's our, our tradition was always that. Yep, was literally the thing was like, like half of it was it. Oh yeah, half there was like always a few. Like my mom had like a daily a daily devotional in there that was like this little thing <laughs> because then it would be like candy. Like read ton, this high on sugar. Yeah, tons yeah. of candy. So I'm always looking for like healthy alternatives to like dude look, the fucking skinny dipped. The, that's it. The what you oh call the packets? Brilliant. The oh, single, the, the, the small packets that I, they have. Are they no, still? Somebody mentioned that. I was like, that's such a good idea. So are they still? I thought that was just a Halloween thing. Are they still doing that? The yeah, little, they still have one pack things. Yeah, because that was that was something. They have the bigger packs and they have the small packs. So right? we we didn't hand out candy this year for Halloween, but uh, I saw them advertising that. And I told Katrina, if we were to, we're going to use our sponsor. I'm like, let's just call Skinny Dipped Up and get a bunch of those little ones. Because they're still fucking good. Dude, if you're a kid, you're not mad at my that. My kids no, freak. No, they love them. My kids freak out over them. Yeah. They love them. Well, they're obviously, they love the peanut butter chocolate ones especially. They are, they're, they're crazy for They those. knocked it out of the park. They're yeah. delicious as, as, uh, as hell. Um, and they're not candy. You know what I mean? So it's like, here, kids, here's some almonds. And my daughter's like, chocolate. Yeah. And she crushes it. And then everybody's happy. So I'm gonna throw some of those in there, but I like your idea too. Yeah, Justin, with I'm the have to combo that, yeah, because it's not gonna be enough, you know, because <laughs> those things, it's always you want them to like look like there's stuff mm -hmm. in there. Yeah. Speaking of Santa, did you did any of you read the Santa Sold Shrooms book that was done by Four Sigmatic? You know, um, I, I I looked through it because I know he left one here at the studio. So what's the deal? Well, I, didn't he tell the story in our he interview? Did. It's the same story. Okay, it is the same story. So if you listen, go back and listen to Taro's interview uh, from Four Sigmatic, the CEO, he goes into detail about like the origin of Santa Claus and then also like even like the Christmas tree and, you know, all these mushrooms that had a, played a role in that. I didn't think that many people were going to like that episode as many as people did. A lot of people loved it. Yeah. It yeah. Well, you know what? He's that, a smart dude. Well, that's a very smart guy. Mm -hmm. And 
extremely it was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting because I didn't know the 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 differences of that many mushrooms out there. And to talk to somebody who was that educated just about that one single topic, mm-hmm. it's it was not a food group that gets described or like you don't get a lot of, like information about it. Right. Well, since I stopped uh, caffeine, because I'm still caffeine free, by the way. So I think today marks. Let's see. Today's probably day, I want to say, eight or nine, maybe, which is the longest I've gone purely without caffeine. No green tea, nothing, right? No caffeine at all. And I can, because I eliminated that stimulant, I can feel the the cordyceps, the four sigmatic cordyceps, I can feel their effect more. Because hmm. what happens with the cordyceps, it's not a stimulant, so I don't take it and get so, buzzed, yeah. but I take it and I work out. And I don't get out of breath as, as much. I, I don't have to rest as much. I told you this ah. that I noticed this was off air. We were talking about this, and you know, we're, today's not even like a Ned commercial day or anything. But I noticed a big difference with Ned when I because I sm- stopped smoking weed. I hadn't been I hadn't been smoking weed for over two weeks. And before, when I would take the Ned, like yeah, I'd ha- I would I would notice afterwards the next day, like oh, I slept really good. Mm-hmm. But like I can actually feel it now. Like mm-hmm. I take it and I can feel my body really calm down, relax because it's. I feel like I'm more sensitive to it. I don't yep, know. Yep, I don't know yep. if that's what it is. It but- is, dude. It's it's crazy. It's like I, I was talking about this with Jessica the other day, and it's like you know you, you use these substances that are um, you know they're 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 mind altering to to a certain extent. Caffeine has definitely got some of those qualities, right? And for people who disagree, get the fuck oh, out of here. Like, me? You uh, drink a coffee and it changes your state of mind. It, yes. it's, it's a mild antidepressant. You're going to release dopamine. It's more. a blessing from the holy God. Right? <laughs> <laughs> is what it is. But it can also be a curse, right? Yeah. Um, same thing with cannabis, obviously. I don't need to make that argument. But when you use things that do that for you regularly, you lose the sensitivities to other milder effects that you may get from food or a little bit extra sleep or a different kind of workout, and then of course you lose the you lose the effects of those things anyway. Like drinking coffee every single day, it stops working. Right. You know what I mean. So taking those out, I could feel more of the effect, just like you said, Adam. Uh, but I felt it more from the cordyceps. Now I drink cordyceps to go work out, um, and it's like, oh shit, I can really feel. But it's yeah. not a stimulant. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean. But even that, I mean, it's I think it's smart to go off anything. For a little while, I think, that, I think that's the the message behind all this, right? Yeah. Is just, that's the or the the moral or whatever the takeaway mm-hmm. is that you know it's so important that and I try I really try to do this and I, I think I'm pretty good at it. And to be honest, the reason why I was so motivated to cut out weed was because if there was anything in my life that I probably was consistently taking and I didn't cycle off, it would probably be that. That was something that I was, and so it's like mm-hmm. ah, you know, and I didn't set like a hard date for myself, like oh I'm gonna go till whatever. It's like. Yeah, I just need to not do it for a while and know that I don't need to do it. And to be honest with you, it's you know I just took a hit uh, earlier, and man, it's it's so nice to n- have not done it for several. You get all the euphoria, none of the yeah, negatives. and with hardly any of it too. It doesn't even take hardly mm-hmm. anything to get those those same feelings that you're searching for. And now you're not having to smoke a whole joint or rip a bong or do things like that. So I really feel like. And it's hard, and I know I'm, I'm sure I'll ruffle some feathers, but you know, at one point you have to kind of ask yourself, like, you know, are you really helping yourself out if you have to keep, you know, taking higher and higher doses of whatever it is you're mm-hmm. taking? It doesn't matter what it is, and are you better off maybe cycling off you and know, then coming back? Joe Decina said something on our interview with him, which, by the way, if you haven't listened to that, was one of my favorite. Fire. Yeah, that guy's just such a great storyteller. But something he said really struck me. Because A, it's true, 100% true, and because B, I've never really put it together uh, so so simply. I, I know it's true when I hear it, 
or when I heard it, but I never really thought of it that way. And he says, you know, people don't get happy from getting more things. They get become happy from taking things away, like from detaching from things. And all the spiritual practices of the world, all the major ones, understand this. They know that when you become attached to things or to practices, um, they can start to take away from your quality of life. And so this is true for supplements. It's true for foods. This is why fasting, I find, has such a powerful psychological effect. I mean, I, I, I fast now less for the physiological health benefits and more for the spiritual, mental clarity type benefits. Not because it's making me feel better physically, but because I'm right. detaching from food for a few days. I, I also achieve this from not exercising uh, for a while. Now, I'm the kind of person that, you guys know me, I am extremely diligent and consistent with my workouts. And I will go years without missing a single workout. And it was maybe two years ago, I went on a vacation uh, with, with Jessica and she brought that up to me and she's like, well, you know, you, it's okay to miss, like, a, like you never miss a workout. It's okay if you miss some workouts, maybe you're a little bit too attached to it. So that's what I did. We went on a road trip and I didn't work out for like, oh, for like four or five days. And same effect. I had that same detachment effect. It wasn't that I, you know, I felt like, oh, I'm missing my workouts. It was that I detached from something that I was so attached to. I think it's a smart practice to do that with, with pretty much anything. Well, right? I, I, yeah. every major religion teaches this. Mm-hmm. Every major religion talks about that. It's such a, it's so, so true. I wonder if, if camping, some of the benefits that people get from camping, Absolutely, you know, abs- absolutely. So I, we literally had this conversation this weekend with my my two childhood best friends, uh, all of us together, and we hadn't all been. Actually, we, there was another third one who actually came by, and we all hadn't been together fuck for probably since almost high school. And one of the things that we were talking about now that two of them have kids already uh, that just had them this year is the importance of carrying on the traditions that we were a, a part of, and one of those traditions was. You know, we used to go camping for 10 days every year up in Trinity River up there. And, you know, there was no cell service up there. There was, I mean, there was running water so we could take showers there. And there was a nice campground that was shaded and there was a lake there. But you really are away from all all normal amenities that everybody else has over here. And I was telling them, one, not only were those some of the most important uh, times of our life that we love and have memories and we'll never for, for, for just that's important enough. But I also think that with where we're going with technology and the, the ease and convenience of everything, that I think it's going to become a staple practice mm-hmm. to the point where I actually, after this long conversation, I thought about well, maybe investing in, in some. Yes, investing in a <laughs> yeah. campground. Of course. Right? Yeah. That's exactly how my brain works. I thought, like, fuck, you know what? I believe in this so much that, man, I bet you we could swoop up a campground for pretty fucking oh, it's, cheap. It's interesting because I've noticed an uptick. Because I live in a campground sort of uh, uh, neighborhood, like so, I live within a campground. They own a few different properties, and uh, like so, their revenue is it comes in based off of like how many people come in for a conference, or mm-hmm. now that they have zip line, they have ropes course, these types of things that they're offering. Um, it's really kind of taken off, but people come up there really to do exactly that to decompress and to get away from everything. And um, it, it it was there was a lot less people like maybe 10, 10 years ago or so. And now it's like this whole new resurgence. We, you are not your things. And I think we forget that the more things we get for sure. You know, it's funny. You know, you guys know I like to read economics articles, right? Mm. And one of my favorite things about economics is debunking common myths, uh, like the ones that like politicians like to promote 
in order to further agendas and stuff like that. One of the common myths is that it's so expensive to live today versus before. Like, oh, before you could have a house and support your family with a job, and now you need to have two incomes, this and that and the other. And so what economists did is they actually compared what you're getting for your money. And they're like, well, if you lived the way you lived in 1950 today with the same average square foot house, which the, the average house today is far larger than the average house back then, with the same kinds of appliances. So you don't have a computer, you don't have internet, you don't have cable, you don't have all this, you don't have two cars for your family or three cars for your family. Back then you had one car. Back then you you had maybe one TV or no TV. Today you have three TVs in your house. If you if you compare apples to apples, it's far cheaper to live today than back then. Oh, what a great point. We've literally become our things. We have so much stuff and so many things that we're, for, we're, we're the, the lesson of not having things we're not getting because we're not we don't we don't get right. that opportunity. What's and, the most important thing? Yeah, and people are, are, are I think they're seeking it out and mm-hmm. they're going out well, and they're finding that the value there's value in it. I remember I totally remember this because I was doing this all the way from let's see here I think I was eighth grade when I first started going with my it was my best friend's family that had this and it was a huge uh, traditional thing they did like there'd be fifty to hundred people there that were related and friends of them. And one of the things I remember was I remember doing it as a kid and this was before cell phones and really the internet really was not even really existing at this time. So it wasn't that big of a deal, but I do remember still doing it all the way through high school and now cell phones are available and the ability to do this and now email and mm-hmm. Facebook and things are coming on, uh, coming on board. Like a lot of this stuff is starting to happen, right? Or actually it was MySpace back then. And so I remember that feeling of going out there and the cell phone service just didn't work. Like there wasn't an option. Like, Mm -hmm. you you know, now almost everywhere you go, you have that. And I remember the first day or two always being challenging because, and, and, and making that connection of, wow, this was a trip where I never even thought about, you know, calling somebody or doing something like that because I didn't have that. We didn't have cell phones. You had to call from a payphone at home to call somebody else. But now that we had this thing in our pocket and the frustration of it not working because we're all the way up here, and then having to detach from that, it literally took twenty four to forty eight hours. Withdrawal. Yes, and I remember. I remember that way back when, and I haven't experienced this in a long time. Where I've gone somewhere for ten days, where I have no access to an email, no access to social media, no like. I wonder what that would feel like. I bet you. Oh, no. I be bet awesome. you. I bet people money right now that electronic fasting will become a thing. And I guarantee it'll oh, be 100%. called. I guarantee it'll be called something like that. If it isn't already, it's going to become a yeah, popular if thing. It's not like let's let's make it a thing. There's let's people. Make, there's people yeah. that do that. Page like, one, I, or at least there. I know there's people that like. You know, this has become popular, and I see it more and more. Where I'll see somebody who's connected to me on Facebook or something saying like, "Hey, I'm going dark for the next, you know, ten days. I'm yeah. not. I'm not going to be on Facebook or whatever mm-hmm. like that." So I know there there's some people that are. Oh, they start- call it e fasting. Oh, or media fasting. Look yeah, at that. There you go. So yeah, you knew. I know that's come. That's here already. That people are starting to do it. I just it'll become more mainstream. It will. It'll be- become a practice that I think will become almost necessary for a lot of people because it's going to get so it's out of control. Definitely necessary. Yeah. I mean, it just seen like the patterns like we've all established and the how we rely on it so much now and it's so integrated into our thought process. Like it's just just to be able to think differently and to be able to really digest. Uh, meaning and purpose and, you know, what you're doing with your life is so important now. It is. You know, I was, I was a pod, it was either a podcast or YouTube and, and Jordan Peterson was talking on it. And he said that one of the first things that he does when he talks to people who suffer from anxiety 
or mild forms of depression, which is very common nowadays, is he tells them he tells them to get off social media. He goes, get off social media and stop watching the news, because those things paint a different picture, and they cause a different state of mind. And he says almost every single person that he talks to that does that or severely reduces their access to those things has a positive uh, impact on the way they view things. I think a lot of the kids' anxieties that we see nowadays is a result of that. Mm-hmm. And there was, a, I, there was actually a study that I had read, and I'm going to try and find it. Um, I actually posted it on my social media. And it talked about uh, how heavy screen impact or heavy screen time impacts children. There aren't any studies. There's not a whole lot of studies on this kind of stuff, right? Because it's new. And that's one of the problems. I know, Adam, you talk about this all the time in, in, in that one book that you used to quote all the time <laughs> and how they talk about how- We won't mention that anymore. Yeah, how they don't- <laughs> It's been banned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Unless we get commission. For exactly. We're not getting any money for yeah. that. <laughs> killed it. Killing it for him. It was a very impactful book for me. Yeah, sure. no, it's, no. It was at the right time for me too. I was too. with you on Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. And so there's not a lot of studies on this stuff because it's so new. Well, one of the- They just completed a big study- where they found that there were different patterns and brain scans among children who record heavy smart device and video game use. They also found, uh, uh, let me see, they also found that the brains looked different than kids who didn't do that. And I can't remember what part Hmm. of it was, what part of the brain was thinner or, oh, here we go. They showed signs of premature thinning of the cortex. This is the brain's outermost layer that processes sensory uh, information. And this was in very young children between 18 to 24 months. Wow. Now, two things about this that are crazy. One is, and heavy use, by the way, is something like five or six hours a day. What's crazy about this is that they had enough children that age, you know, a year and a half to two years to enter into a study that are actually looking at smart, smart devices that much, which yeah. is really crazy, right? Yeah. That's a lot of fucking use. <sighs> But they're finding differences in their brain, physical differences hmm. in their brains. I well, really it's, it's becoming more I mean, Elon Musk theory is is what I think really resonates with me on on where we're heading with AI and that we already have a perfect example of that when we talk about our phones. I mean, I one hundred percent it is already an extension of us. I mean yeah. the, it, tell you I'll tell you right now, guaranteed, each one of us in this room has walked down to your garage or got into your car and realized instantly you forgot your phone and frantically ran back in well, to make yeah. sure you had it. Or Panic. even possibly turned around. Yeah, You turned around your car, like you maybe just got down the street not too far away with that, realized your phone was it. It's like, I got to go back. Well, even I've got to have this with me all day. Every conversation I have now, uh, whether it's with my friends or, or with, with Courtney, it's it's there's this this constant sort of a, a game, like a challenge myself to not rely on Google to provide an answer like this memory retrieval and information retrieval process that, um, we have established, like, and we went through that entire process of school, having to learn that process and critical thinking, uh, to me is something that I, I don't want to lose that skill because what if it all fails or, you know, like I'm so reliant on this phone to provide me all that shit. Even Dude, if I, we don't, it, even if we don't lose the phone and stuff well, like that. Well, even not yet. Yeah, it's it's the, like an atrophy of the muscle. Yeah. Right? And it's just, there's, there's value in, in, in that kind of thinking. There's value in not having, not being attached to electronics, but man, let me tell you something right now. And by the way, I sound like I'm preachy. 
I fully, uh, uh, I fully acknowledge how hard it is. Oh, I'm immersed in it. Yeah, it, it's tough. It is very, very difficult to do to do, to to unplug for a little bit and fast, just like it is from fasting from food. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult thing to do. It's funny because I'll I'll do this with my kids, and a lot of this comes from Jessica. She really helps push this, and I really appreciate it because I'm I'm not as good at it as she is. But we'll tell the kids that's it. You're done with electronics, and my kids literally don't know what to do. They'll sit around and not know what to do. My son will take a nap. He's mm-hmm. a 13-year-old. What the fuck are you doing taking a nap? Because he doesn't know what to do with himself because I said he can't watch TV. Damn, that's crazy, And he kids, he'll just fall asleep. That's, that's crazy. He's like, fuck it. I'm, this time will pass more faster if I fall asleep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, wow. That's, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. In the system. So it's yeah. like, it's, it's, a, it's crazy, man. It's, and I've called it, you know, I've used this term before. I want to say it again. It is the processed food of this generation. You know, yeah. when... when when I was younger and slightly before when I was around, processed foods really became a big thing, and they provided us with a long shelf life yeah, and they, calories. They solved, yeah, exactly. They solved both those problems. Yeah, yeah. You got food that lasts a long time, and you got calories now, because for yeah. a long time that was a problem. But with that came you know, overeating, came you know, the fact that they're hyper palatable, came poor nutrition, and so we didn't balance it out. We just went fucking gangbusters with it, right. and kids were given Pop-Tarts for breakfast. This was totally Hot normal. Hot pockets for lunch. Yep, and, and, a, and a TV dinner for, for dinner or pizza. Yeah. And now we're in the middle of a terrible health epidemic. With electronics, because they're so new, we don't have those, we don't have people really putting those safeguards or really saying, hey, hold on a second. There's look a bit at, of an issue. Look out, None look, of that is out there. Look out, though. The stats are coming, dude. It's, it's going to come You read sure. the book iGen. The book iGen yeah, is literally all stats. I mean, the whole thing is that we have enough now data to like look at some of the shit that's happening, and we're seeing it. It, it. it will become necessary. Again, that's why I thought right away the way my brain works is I go like, hmm, campground investment may not be a bad idea right now. I can't imagine it being super expensive, and that type of real estate is probably going to be really va- – or land is going to be really You could valuable. market it real well, too, and yeah. call it like electronic fasting or media fasting or whatever you want to call yeah, it, whatever yeah. the terminology is. You know, facility. There's all kinds of stuff we could do. Yeah, you come – if in this building, no Rapid cell phones work. Wellness. Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot. I know we're going off soon to uh, to do more some more creative work, and I love it when we do that. And maybe I'll ch- – maybe we'll, I'll challenge us and say that we – unplug from everything and plug in maybe once or twice a day we put our phones away that might be tight because because we're creating content though yeah. well a, i mean no no well a, what i mean is you know we'll still write an on the hour computer. for like instagram yeah, yeah. maybe we'll we'll, that's we'll, all we, we'll, we get. we'll save it because i've even noticed with us we'll get into these modes where we're creating blah, 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 and we're fucking on fire and we're not even thinking about our phones and then somebody will pick somebody up the phone, the phone next thing you know kills it. yeah nobody start nobody's yeah. talking we're no, all you're right up. you know what i mean yeah maybe we'll do that we'll take our phones we'll put them aside and be like okay at this time We'll all check our social media, but until then- I think then, we can do it. I think we can. Yeah. And I think it'll spark more more creativity, to be quite honest oh, with you I, I agree. Totally. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I like that challenge. Yeah, let's let's yeah. do it. Let's see what happens. Let's, take that let's go dark. Let's take that challenge on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we take off what, t- tomorrow night? Is that when we take off? Yep, yeah, tomorrow t- night, and I, it's going to be uh, it's gonna be a good time. I'm hey, ex- did you guys see the- uh, I, I've been wanting to bring this up, and not to change the, the, the topic, but I've been wanting to bring this up. Did you guys hear about the Paleo brand? What's his name's uh, brand? Um, uh, Mark Sisson. Oh, oh yes. yeah, it got bought out by was it Kraft? Kraft, Kraft Heinz. Kraft Heinz yeah. fucking bought it for two hundred million dollars. Those are his his condiments only, right? That's his or is his it just the entire brand. Of- it's the whole brand. So they have like I think they have bars and they oh, have condiments. You, they bought the whole Primal Kitchen brand. They yeah, brought- I thought it was just the condiments. No, no, no. no. They hmm. they purchased the oh oh uh, no yeah they did two hundred million the Primal Kitchen 
brand. Wow, that's wow. not well. I mean, it sounds like a lot. They but produce condiments. He, he obviously he obviously wanted out. Then is he done? Mm-hmm. Then is he out? I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to be uh, if he's going to be a, a you know like a, a contributor still. It's saying here with three years of operation under its belt and a forecast to rake in fifty million next year. So they were fucking crushing. I did not realize that they were that big. Prime kitchen. Yeah, they're already raking in fifty million dollars or projecting to. Now, do you see any potential backlash from his community for this move? I've always so here's the funny thing about that. I've I've thought about that for a while. I don't think so. And I'll tell you, I have a theory. I, I don't think so either, yeah. because at first I thought, yeah, for sure, you're gonna see this. But you know what? These big companies, what people need to realize is they, they really they don't bring efficiency. And not only that, but they really don't care. They're not exactly. They, yeah. yeah, they don't they're give a big, shit. They're bigger. They're so much bigger than his company yeah. that lose lose the fucking million people. We got we got fifty million behind mm-hmm. us, and they're going to be more ha- the fifty million that we already have behind us are going to be happy that we're providing now a product that's with the times now. These right. that's so it's only going to enhance. Mm-hmm. That the, doesn't make a lot of sense. And then you're going to capture. And who cares if you lose half of his audience? You don't yeah. care. You're that big. That's a if no. You're bringing it mainstream, which now the mainstream people have an option of going a little bit healthier than like their other options. It's why I think it's a scary, it's a very scary, supplements are, this is why supplements are a scary place to be. This is why energy drinks are a scary place to be. You try to get in these things and there's a lot of these, these brands popping up that are trying to be healthier versions of that. And I mean, I guess your goal, or it should be, in my opinion, to be bought by a big yeah, runner. is to be bought by a big brand because eventually they're going, they're going to, yeah. you know, they're going to buy somebody. And if you're Red Bull, and just you know, five years ago didn't have any any healthy line or what that, well, guess what? Red Bull now has Red Bull Organic. Mm-hmm. You know well, what I'm saying? This is the concern with all like real established markets, right? We even experienced that with like the app uh, market. Like right. you get you get a, a powerhouse app that's just out there, and they see that this is getting traction. Well, let's buy them before they really you know explode, and then we absorb it that way. That's yeah. right. And here's the thing with uh, with this kind of a market, the wellness market. With wellness, there's brand loyalty and. The people that follow uh, wellness brands like the purity purity of it. So if Kraft Heinz buys a company or bought this company, Primal Kitchen, if they keep it the same and don't change anything in terms of the ingredients, like if all of a sudden they 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 swap out, you know, organic sugar for high fructose corn syrup, for example, or they change something, that'll mm. be a backlash. Oh yeah, I don't think they'll do that though. Of course I think not. they're That'd smart. Be a dumb business. Be it would be why, why acquire them if you're going to do that, right? Yeah. Well, maybe they feed their savings maybe or whatever. It's the brand of, and they might start doing shuckster shit. Right, like but that. if Who they're knows? if they're smart, they buy it, they leave it alone, yeah. and they hedge their bets. What's exciting about this for me is these major manufacturers of foods and products that were considered unhealthy ship, or whatever. Ship is moving, bro. Yep, they're yep. starting to invest money into the health and wellness market. It's and happening. I, I would prefer that a company like Kraft Heinz buys Primal Kitchen than tries to start out themselves and do it themselves when they don't really know how to do that. You know yeah, what I'm saying? No, you're right. Yeah, they nobody would buy into that idea of all of a sudden them turning the ship. That's right. right. That, that would have a hard time with that. And this is why I 100% think, who's the company that owns Marlboro? What is it, Altria or something Philip like that? Morris. Yes. No, Phil, no, they're it, already they're already making moves up in Canada because it's become legal. I guess like marijuana's getting their hands on in it already. I just saw an article about that. A hundred percent. What's what's going to happen is the tobacco industry, uh, who's been struggling to stay afloat in America in particular, or not afloat but to stay relevant, is looking and eyeballing the the cannabis market. They have all the they have all the 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 plant you know manufacturing 
uh, plants. They have all the, they, they know how to grow things. They know where to ship them. They have all the, the lines connected. All they have to do is switch over and watch what happens. Well, they're, they're for sure going to do on it. The, on the, along those lines, chew on this for a minute. Two Kate. billion dollar drag what? of weed. Oh, sorry. That doesn't make any sense. Altria, the owner of Marlboro. Altria, there you go. Takes a $2 billion. Yeah, so they basically paid, invested $2 billion. $2 billion? Yeah. Done. They're going to own so it. There you go. They're so going to own it. To, along those lines of like, you know, behemoths going into markets and just like flipping them on their head. You guys remember I posted an article when Disney bought Hulu last year or the year before. I forget when I posted that. I know you guys remember that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you guys know this or not, right? You know that the Disney pulled their content off of Netflix and everything, yeah, right? Yeah, the entire catalog. So they're they're about to make their run, right? So check this out, okay? Disney owns Hulu, ABC, Star Wars, Marvel, ESPN, Pixar, National Geographic. Disney owns Damn, all of them? Yes, the rights dude, to all of them. Just straight up everything that's like relevant. And name me a person who doesn't appeal to one of those. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and they name me an age group. They get the that top just, thing of all those categories. Let's, let's see what happens if look, they ever get into fitness. Fuck. Look. <laughs> look. Well, ESPN would be that, that well, department. Sports. They, yeah. Think, yeah, yeah, they the, think sports is fitness, which is hilarious. Right. That's, wow. that's right. always a, Well, right now, yeah, we're a, we're a fucking, what, a drop in the bucket. You know what I'm saying? Oh. Like, fitness doesn't mean anything in this nah, big game, you know? So this, I mean, but... If there's a, if there's a chance that Netflix gets knocked off the off the hill, this is who's gonna do it right here. Damn, wow. Dude. Well, I mean, that's that's your stock tip for 2019. Disney. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the key with with Netflix is in any other competitor is gonna be to create their own content that's really good because it's what's kept HBO afloat this whole time. Yeah. Is their own content, you know, because you can oh, own yeah. that, and if it's good, then it works. And Netflix is. They're doing an they're doing an okay job. I don't I wouldn't say that they're amazing at it yet. I watched uh, Mowgli on Netflix the other day. Mm -hmm. Did you see that yet? Not yet. It's like a it's like the the Jungle Book, but it's a different adaptation on it. Right. And it was pretty fucking dark and and but it wasn't bad. They did mm. a pretty good job, and it wasn't the Jungle Book. It was like a different take on the story. Right. So but the, but the, the same story. Yeah, because no. I saw the Jungle Book remake, and it looked like it was pretty similar. No, it's it's still got Mowgli in it. It's got Baloo, and but it's a different story. So when you watch it, it's not you've seen the Jungle Book. It's not yeah. the same story as the okay, Jungle but Book. I mean it's the same characters are in that same characters, but it's much more it's darker, and uh, it's it's interesting. It's not like a kids show. It's yeah. a little bit darker. Yeah, they're, I mean that's the thing is they have some hits and they also have some flops. I mean it's like any other business. Like I think that they've put a lot of money into their content as of late, and so I think the the quality's gone way up. But yeah. they still have a long ways to go. Yeah, that one with Will Smith was a flop for me. Yeah, the, I thought I felt the same way yeah. too. I, I feel like it was gonna be good, and I watched it, and I'm like, "This is good. This is good." And then what the fuck? This I was I was really excited to. And it, to me, it was um. It what was, was it called? It was a uh, bright bright bright. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. It was. I felt like it was um, soft. Like the the the. the the people that they targeted were it was too easy. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, show us some fucking, give us a fucking awesome star who we all love. Show us some action. Give us a character that's like, you know, that's done up graphically or makeup wise. It looks really cool and like cool banter. Avatar and had blue aliens. Let's yeah. do something like that. Yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> and lots like of guns and explosions. It's unoriginal. Yeah, yeah, I just exactly. I just felt it was like, and was it on the creative side? I thought it was soft. Yeah, you know, like yep. that. I mean, you're you're not gonna wow yeah. me with that. Yeah. And I was yeah, excited. Like Will Smith did good in Bad Boys, so there's like this cop element. It's like it's this fucking like montage of like well, all his different things he's done. Excellent point. I think I think uh, that's an example, or that's the flaw 
in models like Netflix is when you purely go off of analytics, analytics. Yep. and you lose the creative aspect. Yeah, you you yeah. take the artist artistry so, out of it. Yeah, so that's that will be and. You know, then I look at what Disney is, and you know, maybe Disney's like, "Fuck, we ain't trying." Disney to Disney mastered like the artistry side of they it. They did. They're so good. Yes, I, it's, I'm, it's insane. I'm how surprised they do. at how well they did with Star Wars. I, I was really thinking they were going to do shit, and yeah. they did way better than the than the more recent Star Wars. I thought they did phenomenal. No, so they've done great. Bro. They're they're really good at writing so when, stories. So when you think about yeah. the, when they're and Marvel and having their hands on that, well, like look the fuck out. And they dude. care too. They care about the response you know, the fan response and they adjust. And so that's, I actually, you know, as, as a super fan, I, I appreciate that they pay that close attention, even to the trolls of the world, because it is like, it has that cultness about it. Mm -hmm. And you have to pay attention to why it has that cultness about it. Something that Disney's done very well too, is they've been able to become as big as they are and as powerful as they are, because remember they control a lot of media, but they're not demonized. And it's very hard to do that. Like once you start controlling a lot of media, you become the Illuminati. Everybody thinks whatever. You're pushing the wrong agenda. Right. And Disney seems to come out pretty unscathed because yeah. we trust Disney. But but they do a good job we, doing we, that. We, I know that's they, they bring everybody back to who to childhood. Who doesn't love Disneyland, yeah, yeah, dude? Yeah, it's it's interesting mean, how they've done that. No. It's, When's the last time you've been there? Uh, just a, I, for my thirtieth, my sister's thirtieth birthday, so eight years ago. Oh, you did? Yeah, I have seven I years go there ago. again. Have you been there in a two, while? Yeah, about I, two years ago. I told you it was an incredible experience. I, I actually, I, my sister, that was like a something I wanted to do for her for her thirtieth birthday. I said, "Where do you want to go? You know, what do you want to do?" And she's like, "I want to go to Disneyland on New Year's." And I'm like, which is her birthday. She's mm-hmm. her birthday is the 31st of December. Oh, that's cool. And so uh, her and her husband, and uh, you know, I got a, I got a, I got a room for for us. And then my mom showed up with the kids and stuff. And then we all went to Disneyland up there, and we stayed at like one of the cool. I don't even remember what hotel, but the ones that were all done, all fucking. Was Disney. this your 33 club? This, thing? yeah, yeah. So oh, then we yeah. then we were in the 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 private place. You guys know about that? You know about that sound? There, there's a there's there's places in Disneyland. Okay, so all of Disneyland doesn't serve alcohol. Yeah. But there are certain private underground bars and stuff that you can get into if you know somebody and they and really you, yeah. Yep. But they're super undercover. Like right. I mean, I my they whole, don't advertise it at all. My whole life, I went not even knowing about it, and then you got to know somebody who knows somebody wow. to get. You in. can take tours of like all the underground stuff. Really? And, yeah. yeah. Oh, I want to go back. Yeah. yeah, and it's the way you get into it. Like there's like the secret door in certain a certain land. And you go knock on it. Someone answers it. If you're on the list, you can get in. If you don't, and then you go up an elevator and you come in this private so cool. room. It's like it's, a speakeasy. It's oh, cool. just I mean, again, so magical. Yeah. I, I mean, even they they found a way to make it magical for adults. Wow. Because here I was at 31. My sister's 30, right? And I'm like, this is fucking cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is, yeah. And yeah. what I remember the most that I that I didn't appreciate when I was a teenager because that's when I went there last. That I did appreciate now in my 30s was. Um, you know, just the way my, my mind looks now, I'm always looking at the whole business side of it as we come in. And as soon as we pull in the parking lot, I mean, that place, the service is like nowhere I've ever been on my, in my entire life. And well, been- I still, I still don't understand why, like, like parking structure wise, every business hasn't taken what they've done in terms of like uh, the efficiency of the design, the engineering behind you know, how they get you into like just massive amounts of volume, like all these cars all in one place at one time, nobody, there's no traffic. Like you get on a shuttle, everything. It's the most efficient 
thing I've ever, like, I, I noticed that the last time I was there mm. and then you're right back on the freeway. You're like, how the fuck did I just get on the freeway? Yeah. It's so impressive to me. I'm like, everybody needs to figure this out. And while you're doing it, it's not like being rushed. We pull in, the guy's like comes over, helps us with a map. Would no, you like to go? Great. Oh yeah. And then we start, we walk in the door, someone rushes over to greet us right away and then ask us what where they I mean, I remember uh I was walking to like one of the next rides and this little kid, you know, is carrying a big old thing of popcorn twice his size, right? And it drops out of his hands and it spills everywhere. And the kid was only about 10 yards in front of me. And before I could get to the popcorn, someone comes out of nowhere and sweeps it up and cleans it up. And so they actually have people working on staff in non-staff uniforms that are to blend in and look like the crowd, but are there for the experience and to keep people happy and keep things clean and do shit like that. Mm -hmm. And then they have their staff people too. Wow. I mean, they just go to another level of service. You know, security and surveillance companies, and I believe this is a rumor, I don't know if it's true, that even the U.S. government even consulted with Disney Mm. on how effective and efficient they are at surveying the people in the park making sure that kids are not getting kidnapped, making sure that, you know, things are safe. Yeah. Because uh, Disney apparently is like on a whole nother level with that. Top notch. Absolutely. Today's Quaw is brought to you by Maps Anabolic. If you're looking to maximize your overall muscle and strength, Maps Anabolic is the perfect place to start. With a full 30-day money-back guarantee, there is absolutely zero risk. So what are you waiting for? Go to mindpromedia.com and get started today. It's the motherfucking quad. The eagle has landed. First question is from the Dave Lifestyle. What's the recommended number of sets for static holds? You don't really get sore from them. Is there such thing as going too far with them in a workout? That's a good question. Yeah. Justin's the wheelhouse. Dave. It's your wheelhouse. This is you. You got to leave. <laughs> I want to see how long you can stare at it and make it awkward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that got real awkward. For that a was fun. I thought, was fun. I thought the computer screen froze yeah. for a second. <laughs> Control on delete. <laughs> yeah, no, like static holds in terms of isometrics. And man, I use them in so many different ways. And really, it's just for me to um, increase that neuromuscular connection and to um, really focus on a particular portion of the rep. So if I'm looking at it from, um, you know, an area where I can improve performance wise or an area I feel, um, somewhere, somewhere around where like I lose that connectivity and I could feel that like within a lift. Um, that's one of the best ways that I use, uh, this type of static. Hold. Yeah. But is, is there, is there a, a, like a protocol? Cause I, that's, I think that's why I think there's a good question. Like, is there a, is like there how a many standard? There's like and- a five, there was like a five to 15 second sort of threshold that um, they found that like any more than that was just overkill endurance at that point. It's endurance and it's a different, it, it becomes a different, uh, yeah, like, like focus in terms of isometric training goes. So five to, to 15 seconds was really like the threshold within a lot of these studies uh, from, you know, these Russian, um, okay, because that's what I feel like he's looking for, and that's why I think it's a great question. Because I really don't know. Yeah, like, how do you program? Is, how many yeah, sets do is you do? there? Is there a a typical protocol? Like, if we were to say you're training for strength, there's a protocol for that. There's a yeah. typical protocol for sets and repetitions and rest periods. Is there a typical protocol for isometric? And you're and you're alluding to 
uh, the, the 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 tempo or the rate should be five to fifteen five to fifteen seconds at most right. for the the intensity. So I would tense up, I would hold five to fifteen seconds, but then should I do that two times, three times, five times? At what, at what point? I think it's it's. I mean, it can reflect primary like most training protocols for strength. Um, like you could match it to you know three sets of ten, three sets of twelve. Um, in terms of reps or so each one you'd, you'd go for like that five to 15 second hold and then you'd release and then you, you know, you go back in and do like a few more reps. So if I'm, I'm hearing you correctly, then the way I would apply that then would look more like this. I, I would follow a, a strength protocol like you alluded to and not so much like a hypertrophy, which would be 10, 12. I would be more like a five by five so i would i would do five sets of five repetitions at five second holds yeah that's see a, and here's the thing like the information that's out there there's not a whole lot of real specifics like uh, for hypertrophy so i was really looking into that when i was like creating like a protocol for like the stick training and trying to to hold these certain positions and apply i think the best usage for isometric training personally is strength or it's uh you know, in terms of like a force production, so like max force production. So, um, if I were to then uh, increase my intrinsic forces to the highest uh, amount that I possibly could, so that would be obviously a shorter hold. So I would try and ramp it up as quick as possible, get as much output as I could, and then uh, release. There's really no eccentric portion of this. Well, now based off what you're saying right there, I would challenge that and say, I could see two major ways that I would probably change the protocol here. So if I'm looking to use isometric holds as a way to, uh, improve my, uh, you know, strengthen my connection and explosiveness, I'm probably hanging around in that strength phase of five by five type of protocol now, if I'm looking for something that's more endurance-based, like I want to be good at being able to hold something for a long time, like I have a job that requires uh, good you know, overhead strength, for example, like, mm-hmm. then I think I would actually stretch in the endurance side and maybe be doing holds for 15 seconds. Does that was, make, would that make that sense? That does make sense. <clears throat> yeah, like I guess I've, I've been looking at it more from a performance aspect, but yeah, you could use... Like and I'll do stuff where I'm doing carries when I'm holding for endurance. So there's value in that for sure. Yeah, I when it comes to static type training, I try to apply the same philosophies that are applied with other forms of training. So we'll use we'll use a different aspect or form of training um, to explain or to illustrate what I'm what I'm talking about. So uh, plyometrics. So when I'm doing plyometrics, I'm trying to improve my explosive output. I'm trying to jump higher, for example. If I do plyometrics to fatigue, I lose that adaptation. I lose that ability. So when you do a plyometrics, the goal is not to do plyometrics to fatigue. The goal is to do plyometrics until you feel your force output has been has now declined. Then you stop the set. Yeah. So because there's such a huge individual variance when it comes to training, in my personal opinion, I think you should do as many sets until you find your force production start to decline. So that's probably going to be around three or four sets in my mm-hmm. my experience. So if I do a static hold and then I rest and then I do another set, I'm like, okay, now I'm not producing as much force as I was before. I think I'm done with the set. Otherwise, I'm training more of that endurance, like what Adam was talking about, which also has a benefit for some uh, athletes. Mm-hmm. But in my experience, if you're really trying to train the static hold, the reason why you train the static holds are there's two. Either one, 
is because your sport involves lots of static holds. So let's say you're a jiu-jitsu guy or a wrestler where you got to hold someone down or keep onto your grips. Then you train for endurance. Otherwise, for almost every other sport, what you want is explosive ability. And I would use a static hold to maximize my connection to portions of reps that I don't feel connected to. So then in that case, I would not do them to fatigue. I would do them with strength and connection and then I'd rest and then I'd repeat. And that may look something like three to five sets or something like that. Now, mm-hmm. you're right. You don't get sore from them like you do with other type of workouts because you're not causing nearly as much muscle damage. Most of the muscle damage you're, you're getting from working out with weights. is from the eccentric portion. Yeah, it comes from the negative part of the rep. But don't, don't make the mistake that you couldn't fatigue the CNS. Though. I was just going to well, say. Yeah, and that's really where those those like parameters are based off of is the drop off of your CNS. And so I think that you have to pay attention to that within your your hold and you can increase that and if your focus is endurance and so I want to see how long I can maintain that certain uh, level of output um, so that's interesting that's something that you can experiment with um, but yeah in terms of like the usage of it uh, I typically would prescribe it to, to athletes more for the priming elements of it but also to um, really see where, like, how high we could ramp up uh, that intrinsic force production. Yes, because here's a great example of how a lot of people use static holds, right? Um, you're working out, let's say you're doing uh, tricep extension. This is an easy one. You're doing stri- tricep extension, and at the end of the set, you hold it at the bottom and really squeeze your triceps as hard as you can. What's going to make the static hold uh, beneficial is not that you're holding it for a long period of time. There's some benefit to that as well. But really, the benefit's coming from I'm going to squeeze for five seconds as hard as I can. Mm-hmm. It's that intrinsic tension that I'm that I'm creating, and that's what's that's what's important about the static holds. But as far as getting sore, here's the thing: you're not going to get sore. It doesn't cause a lot of muscle damage, but you'll get fatigued. You'll notice after if you after you do a few sets, you just can't squeeze as hard. Yeah. Now you're just oh. And, I, and then that's the thing too, and this is kind of a hard question for me because it's something I did like struggle with a lot in terms of like the value of that type of training, like and where that fits in with like people that are just going to the gym for a workout. Um, <clears throat> I found the most like the most value out of it um, from the assessment portion of it, which is like where these discrepancies lie in terms of like if I'm in this position, uh, my force output is dog shit. Like I can't like I can't summon anything in this. So I need to work on that. Or, um, you know, what is my, what is my max ability, uh, within this and how can I increase that, uh, versus just doing kind of reps of it. Um, I find more value in, um, actually going through either like body weight training or, or loading the body with actual weight. Mm. It was a, who was it back in the day? Dynamic tension, uh, Charles Atlas, Mm -hmm. Charles Atlas was one of the first Male, and this for you guys who don't know who he is, you got to look him up because it's really cool. He was the first mail order fitness uh, personality. And he had all these ads in the backs of comic books. Love them. And they would be like the old school, like Mac getting sand kicked in his face. Yeah. You know, he's at the beach with a girl and they're hanging out and some big dude kicks sand in his face. And <laughs> he gets up and the guy's like, what are you going to do with the skinny little arms? Like pushes him aside. The girl goes with the big guy. Then he goes and gets uh, you know Charles Atlas's dynamic tension program, comes back and he's jacked, and then he punches the other guy out and gets his girl back. Very famous ad. But anyway, Charles Atlas, this this program you bought, it, 
it all it was was dynamic tension. You didn't get weights or whatever, and he taught you how to maintain tension in particular positions to build strength. And there's some, there's definitely some value now if you compare static type training to traditional, you know, concentric eccentric training. It's not going to win. But if you add it to that training and you do it right, yeah. holy there's cow. A, yeah, there's a ton of carryover. Lots of carryover to strength. And then, of course, because you have better control. It plugs a lot of holes mm-hmm. in, in the entire process. And I think that's the biggest use of it is complementary to your regular resistance training program. Well, and when you talk about injury prevention, it's probably one of the most neglected things, I think. I think Absolutely. That we, uh, I think the isometric holds really... Uh, enhance your your motor control through a, a movement through its full range of motion and normally where injuries happen is the loss of that control yep. mm-hmm. somebody's trying to push a weight up and because they don't own the entire range of motion somewhere in there it, all it has to do is be off a tiny bit and then they tweak something or hurt something where you know you really want to improve that or build that you know that shell or that safety net is and you know, incorporate isometric holds in there. I think that's a great way. Here's yeah, a- I don't remember the term, but uh, I think it's called isokinetic. But it's more about maintaining a certain level of tension throughout the duration of the entire movement. So it's a- an actual movement. It's not s- purely static, but the focus of it is to not break the amount of muscular tension that you're producing throughout the entire duration of the mm-hmm. exercise. Yeah, here's some ways you can use it in your regular training. Uh, if you have a portion of your lift that you feel not that stable, uh, for example, the bottom of your squat, go a lot lighter with your squat, get down towards that bottom position where you feel weak, and hold that position. But while you're holding that position, tighten and tense up your body and maximize force out- output so you really own that position. Hold it for five to 10 seconds and then come out of it. And what you'll find by doing this is you'll very quickly, actually, this happens really fast. This is the cool thing about static training is within a matter of weeks, you start to get a lot better at those those ranges of motion that you're training. I did this years ago. I remember when I first, when we were taught how to bench press in our first uh, personal training certifications, they taught us to go down to 90 degrees. They said, don't go all the way down to the chest because you know, it's shoulder injury, this, that was a bunch of bullshit. It was really a way for these certifications to cover their asses, right? So I benched like this for a long time. As a result of that, I was very weak once I went down below 90 degrees. Once I brought the bar down to my chest, I like lost all my strength. So then I went through a period of holding the bar down right above my chest and just tensing up as hard as I could. And very quickly, it was like a matter of months, I got to the point where that was the strongest part of my bench where I got better at that part so well that I just got stronger. So that's one way to do it. The other way to do it, which is how bodybuilders love to use this this theory, this form of training, is the squeeze. And believe me, you can do this with any movement, even a movement where you feel like there is no squeeze, like a squat where you're just standing there. Trust me, if you want to hammer your glutes, for example, at the top of the squat, squeeze the shit out of your glutes, hold it for five to set 10 seconds, and then go back down into your squat and do your rep and then come up and squeeze and hold. Watch how your butt feels after doing that. Next question is from Foray Schneider. How do you define fitness? This is a cool question. Oh, wow. Yeah, didn't you say you had a discussion about this earlier? Yeah, no, I, I saw it. I don't know who picked this. Was it you who put this yeah. up here? And I was like, oh, this is cool. We'll hit this because I literally was just having this conversation with a client of mine. And I always tend to keep like one client that I'm helping out. And she's been with me for quite some time. And one of the things that I was discussing, she's in great shape. She's in her 50s. She's uh, eats very well. She works out four days a week. 
Um, she's the only areas I think that I could re- her strength and her mobility is where a lot of our programming is is wrapped around. And she's really hard on herself. Always, oh, you know, I had a half a cookie the other day, and I, you know, did. And she's like kind of always doing that. And I'm kind of reminding. And she's very pretty, and I think she's uh, very aesthetically driven. Like she wants, uh, she wants to be in great shape all the time, which I think a lot of us do, right? It sounds good to say that. And I'm, one of the things uh, that I probably would have never spoke like this ten years ago that I find myself saying to clients like this now that's different is just. You know, really understanding what what health and fitness is is important. I think sometimes we get so caught up in the way we look, and this is and I, I think why I speak to it now is because this I I struggle with this myself. Uh, in the past, I would define my fitness by what the, my reflection in the mirror looked like, and if for me I was trying to be this muscular ripped guy. Uh, if I was, you know, how far away I was from that would define how well my fitness is. Um, and I have just a, a total different outlook on that. And so one of the things I was reminding her is like, you know, you're a very fit, healthy person. Even right now, will you say you feel terrible and you're not great with that? You know, part of that is because you feel like you could look better. But when you break down your your category as far as your age and demographic and Think about uh, how healthy you are, your body fat percentage, the food choices that you make, the exercise movements and cardio that you do on a regular basis. You know, you're Christine. You're a very healthy person, very healthy mm-hmm. person, and I, I that's what I think defines fitness. And uh, I think for me, I, I'm always trying to remind myself that you know, like right now, I've only been training two times, maybe three times a week, and. You know, sometimes those those sessions are actually very mobility driven and and, and or maybe they're just a, a deadlift session and that's all I do. And, you know, and I'm by no means am I at the strongest. I don't look the best I've ever been, but I feel very healthy. You know, like when I think about it, like I, I've adjusted my calorie intake because I'm not stepping and moving as much. And so overall, I'm actually in a very healthy, good position. But I know that I get these conflicting feelings sometimes where I feel like, oh, I'm, I get down on myself for a minute. And then, what, why am I doing that? Well, that's because I'm used to looking a certain mm-hmm. way. So I think that's what fitness defines me. Fitness is health. And if, if you're healthy, uh, that's that's what fitness can be. And that, and there's a, a very wide spectrum of that, right? You can be on all, you know, not, you're not, you're sometimes you're your fittish version of yourself and sometimes you're just fit. And so I think that you have to have defined that spectrum for yourself and nobody knows that better than you when you are healthy and, you know, sleeping well, uh, good energy levels today, low stress, strong enough to do the things that you need to do every day. Like I don't need to deadlift 500 pounds. Like I, yeah, yesterday I was ripping 315 off the floor and it was, it felt heavy for five, you know, that's normally a light weight for me. But then when I really check myself, it's like, well, how often am I going to have to pick something over 315 pounds up off the ground five mm-hmm. times? Probably not ever. But so technically I'm pretty healthy and fit right now, just not at my extreme level. So I think learning to evaluate yourself on your, your, your fitness capabilities, how your stress levels are, how's your energy levels, how's your sleep, how's your sex drive, how are your relationships with people, and how's business, how are all these things, and, uh, and, and how much balance do you have in all of them? And to me, all of those encompass my, my health or fitness journey. Yeah, I think this is it's a very personal question. I'm glad somebody asked this because how you define fitness is extremely important uh, for yourself. It's extremely important. And here's why it's very individual. So I'll give you a, a few basic examples. You could take a 
uh, a bodybuilder and you can put him through a CrossFit workout and he'll get buried. Uh, you could take a CrossFit athlete and have him go do powerlifting and he would also get buried. You could take somebody who's works out in the gym and takes care of themselves and plug them into a hunter-gatherer lifestyle where they have to chase down their prey for you know 15 miles and they would do terrible. So fitness can mean a lot of different things, but how you define fitness for yourself is going to determine how you treat your body and how you eat and how you exercise. And so this is very, very important. Now, if you define fitness as looking good, so if if somebody asks me, like, how do you define fitness? Oh, six-pack, looking really ripped, take my shirt off, and everybody admires me. Well, how's that going to drive what I do in my day-to-day? Well, I may work out a particular way. I'm going to eat a particular way. Um, I may restrict my calories quite a bit, um, and it, it might not be the best direction. If somebody asks me, how do you define fitness? And I say, oh, it's being able to run uh, a marathon uh, in under an hour or something crazy like that or under two hours. Um, I'm going to train a particular way because that's the way I define fitness. So how you define fitness is extremely, extremely important. How you define fitness also is not a stationary target. It's not something that just stays there forever. How you define fitness should change as your circumstances change. You know, I've gone through some difficult times in my life uh, over the last 10 years. And how I defined fitness during those difficult times was, am I able to have the energy to handle my, my work, take care of my family, and maintain myself in a way that I don't break down? I don't become depressed. I don't become anxious. I don't get addicted to an alcohol or drugs because of the stressful situation. That If I can avoid those things and take care of my family and still work and just kind of keep my head above water. I'm really fit right now. There's other times in my life when fitness meant to me being able to deadlift 600 pounds uh, or being able to get down to 4% body fat. So that needs to change, but it's extremely important to define your fitness for yourself. Now, if you were to ask me what I think the ideal definition is for fitness for people, you know, I don't think I can necessarily define it, but I can say this. If you treat yourself like somebody you care about and you really want to take care of yourself, then uh, how you define fitness is probably going to be the the, the right way, uh, if, if, for lack of a better term, or the healthy way uh, of, of you know what that fitness looks like for you. I think that the <clears throat> statement you just made about it should be changing is a is an extremely good point, mm-hmm. and that was I didn't add that onto my long old spiel. But that was something that I said to her is that you know you you have to evaluate what's going on in your life currently right now. And, it, and your fitness should be re- redefined because of that. Because right now, you normally wouldn't be having family over for dinner. You wouldn't be traveling back to Chicago. Or you, there's a lot of things that are, are going to happen that are very important to your health, right? That are important to your relationships. And so, therefore, if you were also in the mindset of, I want to have a competitive-looking body, like this is probably not the best time for that. Or what it's going to end up doing is adding stress to your life if that's where you're trying you're trying to define. So... I love that. I'm glad you made that yeah. point that it should be always being redefined. I look at the the term fitness is like it's it's on a spectrum. So if I were to look at the ultimate pathway to longevity or wellness, I would sort of wrap the two of those pursuits somewhat together um, versus like more of a sport uh, on the other end of the spectrum where it's something that I'm pursuing that's the extreme uh, skill or, or some extreme like physical pursuit. Um, and the fitness is somewhere, somewhere where homeostasis lies, but also it's, it's the ability to be resilient. 
And I think that being resilient to, um, I mean, this could be anything from viruses. This could be anything from um, abilities to overcome obstacles, um, forces, uh, undetermined forces, like being having abilities to get myself out of situations. Like um, the, this is all fitness related to me. Uh, it's not just about, I mean, looking... I think that looking the part, it, it comes like we understand that somebody that looks a certain way has a lot of these abilities. And I think that's attractive. And that's why that becomes sort of the focus. It's like, wow, look at that. They look awesome. I bet they could do, you know, I bet they're, they're, everything's working out for them, you know? Um, and so I think that the focus ends up being on the, the, the actual aesthetic of it. Um, so I, I don't condemn that focus because I know that that helps people to kind of get to that place sometimes. But uh, I, I look at fitness as more of it, it encompasses this this underlying ability to uh, sort of be a master of your environment and thrive in it. Absolutely. I mean, look at it this way. If you look at your life and you place the and you list the top five purposes and priorities uh, or meanings uh, or things that give you meaning in life. Let's say you were to list them and let's say at the top was, you know, my, my kids, my wife or family, uh, my, or husband, my, you know, my, my, my work, being able to help people, whatever, whatever your list is. And then think to yourself, okay, what version of me is gonna be able to do those most important things in my life? Okay. And it's okay to want to look good, but I'm going to tell you something right now. If you looking amazing is in the top three, you're going to have a tough time with life because I don't care how dialed your diet is. I don't care how great your exercise is. I don't care what steroids you take. We all get older. And at some point, you're going to be faced with this defeated, you know, like, oh, shit, I'm failing at my ultimate goal of looking amazing all the time. So list your things, list your priorities. And then what version of you is going to be the best at doing those things? And it typically revolves around some balance. You've, you've got some good strength. You've got some good mobility. You've got some good stamina. You eat right. You get good sleep. That's the version, for example, for me, that's the version of Sal that's going to be able to do all those things absolutely best. Mm. And so that's the way I like to look at it. And sometimes, I think that's why it changes, you know? Sometimes shit gets hard as hell, and my workouts are all about just surviving. I'm not even going to the gym to try and improve. I'm just, whew, I got to go to the gym to make sure that I don't to decompress. Crumble. Yeah, <laughs> you know? For everything so. else, maybe. Next question is from Gary Aguirre. When do you know when you should stop bulking and start a cut? It's a good question. I did not know when when I was younger. I just fucking went for it all the time. You know, I just bulked. But as I got older, I started to learn to read the signs of when a bulk stopped being beneficial and just started being detrimental. When I when you first get into a bulk, if you do it right, uh, you know, and a bulk constitutes uh, eating calorie eating more calories than you're burning, typically anywhere between. 300 on the low end to 1,000 or maybe even 1,500 on the super high end over your maintenance calories. Some of the benefits of doing that are increased strength, more energy, you build more muscle, uh, you know, sometimes hormones become optimized, testosterone increases. Speed up your metabolism. Like that. You can speed up your metabolism a little bit. So I, I, I keep my eye out for those. Now, what are some of the negatives of doing that? Uh, excessive fat gain, um, loss of energy, 
um, loss of motivation. Digest, I start to digestive stress, digestive issues. I start to feel like I can't eat any more food now. I'm forcing myself. So I pay attention to those things pretty closely. And when I feel like my bulk is just now me eating more and just getting fatter, and I'm not getting any more benefits, and maybe my strength gains are dwindling to the point where you know I was adding, I added 15 pounds on my lifts before, and now they're going up by five pounds every time I gain 10 pounds of body weight. I know that the bulk has lost. A lot of it's been. I know my my body now has become desensitized to the extra calories, and then that's when I reverse directions. Now to be more specific, because some people don't have the the connection to their body to know what this looks like, and I didn't for a long time. Uh, give yourself a body fat percentage goal. That's an easy one. So okay, I'm at nine percent body fat. I want to go on a bulk. I'm not going to let myself go above twelve percent body fat. There you go. Every week, test your body fat. Once you hit that twelve percent. Reverse, change gears, mm. go into a little mini cut, you know, drop a percent or two body fat, and then reverse back into a bulk. Now, uh, I'm going to give uh, my personal protocol that I like to do. So, I, and I think there's definitely an individual variance for everybody, and you, I think you should play with this to see. I think everything that Sal just said was is very important to pay attention to and watch. For me, I find that whatever I'm focusing on, whether it be a cut or bulk. So, let's say I'm bulking. Uh, that's the main focus, so that's going to take a majority of the the surplus. But I weave in and out, and I can do like a four two protocol, and I do it both ways. So if I'm bulking, I like to run like four weeks in a row of calorie surplus, and then I'll re- then I'll go to two weeks of uh, a calorie maintenance or deficit, and then I'll go back to the bulk for four weeks, and I just kind of weave in and out like that four two four two four two. Same thing goes for the cut. If my main focus is to cut and lean out. I like to run for about four weeks in, in a deficit and in a cut, and then I would surge back up for a week or two and then back. So the four two four two four two. I have found that w- right around there is what works best for me. And I've been doing this for a long time, so much of that is more uh, off of feel, so I don't follow it right to the four-week mark and right to the two-week mark, but it kind of falls right in there. Give or take a few days or so, um, I typically run that – four weeks of focusing on whatever it is I'm focusing on and then I reverse myself out and I see I seem to get the best results and so maybe trying something along those lines I've done everything from two two to you know four one and I've tried a lot of different protocols for myself and find that that works the best for me where I don't tend to ever let too much body fat I find the first week or two when I'm in a bulk is just trying to get the calories up. I mean, that's already work when you're somebody who's struggled to eat enough to put size on. So I find, you know, the first week or two is really finding that that sweet spot and finding where I need to be. And I'm normally in a certain phase of whatever program or whatever I'm following at that time. And then as I'm transitioning into the next phase, I'm also at the same time switching over to uh, a cut and reversing over what I was doing for a week or two and then back on it again. So that's just been a personal protocol that I've I've followed for a long time. I think the takeaway from that is not allowing you to get stuck in either one of them for too long. In the past, as a kid, uh, I was like Sal, where I was on a permanent bulk. You know, I was just always trying to eat more, eat more, eat more, and I'd put on a ton of body fat. And then if I were to eat, lean out at all, I'd pretty much lose the muscle that I spent all that bulk trying to put on. And so I think that's where you got to be careful is this, you know, quote unquote, uh, dirty bulking that a lot of people like to do because it's a lot of fun to dirty bulk. But if you really care about trying to build a physique, it is by far not the best strategy. Mm-hmm. Next question is from S. Miller Fit 
in reference to any form of physique bodybuilding competing, what is your take on the you versus you mindset compared to competing to win? Well, this is this this is good for any athlete, any sport, yeah, any, anything you do where you're competing. Yeah, I think it's interesting though the difference of what kind of a sport bodybuilding is and how involved that is lifestyle wise with nutrition and uh, just the focus of it being um, purely on everything revolves around you versus you kind of contributing towards um, you know uh, an action that. Um, you're you're doing with other teammates and other people and you can kind of work on your own skill set this is like something that's a completely different type of a focus yeah i think so i there's some benefits to the you versus you mindset mindset however it is now being used in my opinion in the wrong way okay now it's to the point where people are entering into competitions and because they're afraid of competing or to be more specific they're afraid of losing it's all about the i'm just trying to do do my you know better myself i'm trying to get better for me or whatever and it's kind of a part of this this trend of you know that competition is bad and it's all about feeling good and you know who you, know, you don't want to lose we don't want anybody to lose cuz they feel bad no 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 you enter a competition your goal is to win like if i enter into a competition I want to win that competition. Now, at the end of that competition, if I lose, which happens uh, often, right? I mean, you're not going to win all the time. When I lose, at the end of it, I can then I'll reevaluate re things, and then I'll end and say, okay, I lost. Why did I lose? Why did that person beat me? And was I a better version of myself than the last time? If I was, that's cool. At least that was that. I'm still upset that I lost, and I still mm. need to do better. But Okay, I got better than I was before. You know, better than I was before, but I see a lot of people entering into competition with this attitude: where, hey, I'm entering this competition. I really don't care about whatever. I just want to get better than myself. And I get it for some things, like if you've never run a marathon before and you're just doing it for your for health or for motivation, or you've never. I get all that, but you, you know, you want to be careful because we have this this mentality that's been growing, where competition is a dirty word mm. where nobody needs should lose because people feel bad. Mm -hmm. If you're entering into a competition that you're competitive at and it's something you really take seriously, you, fuck being better than you were before. For sure you need to do that. That's a, that's a given. It's well, like somebody being proud about not cheating on their spouse. Like, look at me. I, well, you're yeah. not supposed to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you fucking go in there. Yes, you're supposed to be better than you were before, but if you're competitive... You're there to win and beat everybody else, also. Yeah, I think it's it, it's it's a clear difference of people who who are in it to be the best, to to take out all the rest of the competition versus uh, somebody that's sort of like in the mindset of like I'm just in this for me and I'm like trying to improve every day. And uh, I think that both you can combine both mentalities, but I don't think that. Um, you should you should eliminate the fact that there's other people involved in this, and that you should have your eyes out there to you know if that doesn't motivate you, I don't know what type of an athlete uh, you know really is going to thrive without that. That was a really interesting perspective that you gave, Sal, because I actually was going to say that I don't think there's any other way to look at it other than you versus you. But when you put it the way you do, that makes a lot of sense, and I understand that. I always used to get clients that would hire me for competitions and they would always shit send me a picture of a body of somebody like, oh, this is who I want to look like or, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, and so I was coming from a total different perspective with my thought process of, 
Um, and I used to tell them, I don't, I never paid attention to my peers in the space. I never did. I never looked at so-and-so and that he's winning. He won the last show and now I'm going to be competing against him and like think about what he looks like. None of that even mattered to me because I know the genetic difference between all of us is it's so varied that I'm not going to waste my time looking at his body, trying to build my physique around that. I'm assessing my body and what it looked like from the last show and how can I improve on it on this show to continue to improve my standings. But like Sal said, I mean, I wasn't at the fucking win. I mean, Mm -hmm. day one, I never never once stepped on that stage thinking like, hey, let's just kind of do this and see where (laughs) it takes me. Like, I'm competitive as fuck. So, But what drove that competition was me beating me every time like every show if you and, and one of these days I'll gather them all I just never kept and collected all this shit together but you know if you if you were to look at from my first show all the way to my my last pro show my physique changed every single time I did not present and I see this a lot in this space of guys and girls coming back to stage and pretty much kind of presenting the same physique over like I think if I was at that point, I mean, I got bored before that. I would have got bored for sure if I'm like just coming up and like, here I am again. I'm 3%. Here I am again, 3%. And I look just like the last time I got up here. Like I thrived on the going to the judges, looking at my pictures and going, okay, this is what I look like. This is the feedback I got. Let's revisit my programming. Let's revisit my diet. Let's lay out the next 12 weeks of what I'm going to do. And then then going to the drawing board and then applying the discipline and following and then executing and then looking at the result. And, and, not, and, and I would never let myself let a judge tell me if I made, made those changes and improvements. I'm looking at it. I can tell, okay, I changed. Now, Hopefully, if I did a good job of that, these judges would recognize that, and that's exactly what happened. You know, people would the judges recognized it, saw it, and I, I was rewarded for it, and I moved up the amateur rankings pretty fast. And so, I was competing against others. I was in it to win. That was very motivating. But the mindset for me was always you versus you, and I never worry about what anybody yeah. else is doing. But I do get where you're going. Yeah, with that. I, because I see sometimes people using it as a no, no. I get what you're. It's s- like the body it's a crutch. Yeah. yeah, like body positive. You know, the body positive movement. I I get where it comes from, and there's a lot of value in it. But then people yeah, right. use you're that. fat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're, you're you're fat. If you're fat, you're fat. There's no way around. Yeah, I'm people sorry. will use it or as your a body way. is carrying body fat. Exactly. People will use the the body positive movement as a way to. No, I love myself. That's why I eat so terribly and why I don't take care of myself. It's the same thing with the you versus you. I, I, I see people using it as a way to not compete. You know, some of the here's the deal like, you mm. might be better than you were last time, but what may drive you to go even further is the fact that you're competing against other people who are even better right. and mm. you want to beat them. Mm-hmm. It, it's okay to be competitive, it's okay to want to be first place and to work hard and to aim for that. Yeah. It's, it's not open now when you get your butt kicked, which is going to happen. Well, that's where Many all the times. self-reflection happens. Then you have your self-reflection. Then yeah. it's the you versus you. I get it. Okay, here's what happened. How can I do this better? But yeah, that's the whole reason why I said that in the first place because we're seeing a lot of that. You know, no, you're right. It is everywhere. Yeah. yeah no, that was that was great. I mean, I was already ready to fire off and be like, it's only that you yeah, versus yeah, you. Yeah, but yeah, you, yeah. you bring a good perspective there that that there is this culture around that right now of. You know, oh, don't worry about it. If well, you took last place, dude, I see like, it in kids' like, sports, man. Like, yeah, no, totally. no, bro, you sucked. Yeah, I see, <laughs> yeah. I see in kids' yeah. sports all the time. Listen, guys, go Call out the there, kettle black. yeah, play better than you did last time. Doesn't matter if you win or lose. You know, blah blah blah. And it's like, and then they lose, and it's like, oh, it's okay. You, you know, 
no, no, all right, guys, let's have a, let's all sit in a circle. Okay? Well, here's you, what happened: you got your butt kicked. You know, yeah. you know? Here, here's here's you the gotta thing: learn how to take the L. This is an important lesson, and I think it's in a very important point. So I'm glad you did come from that angle because when you think about like real world, like the workforce, and you get out there and you're doing something, and if all you are thinking about is like, man, if I can do a little bit better today, I show up on time, I do this. And your your competitors or the people that are in the same position as you are are working twice as hard as you are outperforming you. It doesn't fucking matter that you are beating you. <laughs> you're not going to get the promotion. You're not going to make more money. Your boss is not going to reward you. And there's actually a likely chance you may get fired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you may be beating you every fucking day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Good for you. But the reality of it is we do live in a dog-eat-dog world in a lot of aspects. And- Getting by in life and business is one of those that most of us are going to have to dive into at one point of our life, and you got to be able to own up to that, man. Yeah. A long time ago, my friend thought that that saying was doggy dog. Not dog doggy eat dog. dog. It's a doggy dog world. It's a doggy dog What'd world. You, what'd Snoop Dogg. Oh, yeah. Dog doggy. eat dog. Anyway. Uh, so listen, if you're a personal trainer and you, wanna, and you just started or you're relatively new and you want to build your business... You got to get our personal trainer guide. It's free in there. We talk about the sales process, the prospecting process, how to build your business. Total free guide. You can find it at mindpumpfree.com. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes Matt's Anabolic, MAPS Performance and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now, plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.